Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It is Wednesday, which means it's time. For the fun free with me, Adam Bowl, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Hello, how you doing? Not bad. Uh, how you doing? You sound you sound pumped. Yeah, I'm absolutely pumped. Uh, I Excellent. got home tonight to no electricity, so I'm doing this live from the fifth century. <laughs> it's almost as if you're living with a, a problematic housemate. They live in with well. a mentalist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of mentalists, <laughs> Dave O'Brien. Yes. Uh, hello. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> How are you, lads? <laughs> All good. And I'm delighted to say Chris Ennage is here once again. Ooh. Good evening, chaps. Big stuff, guys. We are going to be discussing a couple of the big transfer stories from the past week. We're also going to be answering your questions. And it's a pleasure to have Jake Cohen on the podcast later on in this week's Talking Point, talking through how transfers work, a little bit of behind-the-scenes info, busting some transfer myths. He did a great article on the Set Pieces website earlier this week. Really fascinating stuff. We spoke to him earlier. So be sure, be sure to stay tuned for that later on. First, though, as always, comment of the week. He's going to go this week to Ryan13265 from the USA. <clears throat> he said, great podcast with lots to offer for all fans of the game. Great podcast where meaningful and intelligent discussion about soccer are had better than most professional podcasts. Uh, insinuating that maybe we're not professional, but at the same time, he gave it five stars. He said it's intelligent, knowledgeable people who just want to discuss and talk about the game they love. Great oh, stuff. So, Ryan, thank you so much for the review. Um, let's get into three little bits of transfer news. Essentially, first up, Romelu Lukaku. Guys, it looks like he could be on the verge of that return to Chelsea. £70 million is the reported fee. Loic Remy could be used as a makeway going the other way. Now, it's an interesting one, Dave. Of course, another buyback. We're seeing that with Paul Pogba. Hopefully, that's going to be confirmed this week. A club who let this player leave a few years ago, buying back for a huge fee nowadays. Chelsea fans not happy about this one, though, despite the fact I think he's averaged... I think a goal every other game in the Premier League since he arrived. Chelsea fans still complaining he doesn't have that first touch, Dave. Seventy million. Is he in any way worth it? Well, you know, those stats that you just mentioned there, he's scored sixty goals in the last 
four seasons in the Premier League. Only Sergio Aguero scored more. He scored more than Livia Giroud, Christian Benteke, Harry Kane, Ron Van Persie, Daniel Sturridge, Wayne Rooney, Yoyo Torre, obviously been scoring a few goals. So he has calibre. But I agree with the first touch issue. He technically isn't a great player, but he's young and can improve. Being 23 um, years old, already scored over 50 goals in the Premier League. That is calibre and that is talent. There's only five other players that have um, got to that feat. But I do think he's he's a strange player. He's got the build of a target man, but he doesn't have his, his all-round players and of a target man. He's more of a poacher. He's like a modern-day poacher, someone that's really physically developed, but does his business in the penalty area, you know, with those one-touch finishes, um, all the, you know, mazy dribbles. But, you know, get the ball to his feet outside the area, get him into the play a bit too early is a bit of a mistake for Romelu Lukaku right now. But what could it be? It could be really good with the combination with Diego Costa, though. Costa probably works a little bit better with the, the partner. And if um, you know Chelsea have played a 4-2-4 or 4-4-2 in pre-season, could be a good way to go. But it loses control in midfield for Conte. And I think that could be an issue in the Premier League next season. I think midfield control is going to be about... That's going to be it. I mean, I sort of touch on this later on with Jake Lawrence about mm. how... It, I feel like this summer, you know, we, we spoke a few weeks ago about how every... A lot of players now seem to be 30 million players all of a sudden this summer. That seems to be the, the lowest fee you almost pay for this sort of, you know, decent enough footballer. Again, we're seeing Lukaku, like I said, that huge, I mean, it's a huge loss on a player. They sold him for 25 million two years ago, I think it was, buying him back for 70. And understand clubs are generating huge amounts of revenue. They're generating more money than ever. But this sort of, especially in the Premier League, it seems like there's a, com- <laughs> there's a complete lack of business sense in terms of maximising value from transfer do you think it's a, it's a problem do you think it's something that do you think it's something that's going to come back to haunt some of these clubs what do you mean will uh, I think it already is it's surely the Pogba one is well, I don't and, know uh, they're making so much money it's almost like it doesn't even matter yeah but I mean you know make hay while the sun shines uh, is obviously the case with Manchester United and probably with Chelsea as well they're both cashing in on those things but at the same time it doesn't mean doesn't mean you can automatically just go and sort of spend Billion. I, I almost feel like it. You know, we sort of we they they take their cash lessons from ridiculous nineteen eighties films about Wall Street. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's unusual. It, it, it's not going to last forever. It is somewhat of a bubble, I think, within the game. You cannot continue to mm. do this kind of spending. And at the same time, I think it is. You know what? It, it probably teaches Chelsea yet another lesson, or it just basically shows Chelsea fans how poorly managed their club is. I mean, you know, for years they did not value what they had and they loaned so many players out and they didn't develop their youth properly and their manager did have a short-termist view. Uh, And, you know, people didn't identify that as a real issue because at the time they were winning. And, you know, I think just short-term winning for overall a long-term loss probably isn't great for a club. Do you think, Chris, it speaks to... (laughs) A strange problem in the game that there's not many top-class players available, and as it's in not true. These sort of key, do you know why are Chelsea paying seventy million pounds for Lukaku? You look at world-class strikers. You look at Arsenal. Arsenal fans always banging on. We need a world-class striker. We need a world-class striker. Benzema was obviously the option. Um, that's not happening. Gonzalo Higuain. You look at Lukaku, and then you start going, okay, how many top top strikers are there out there to buy? Is it a case that they, these players aren't there, Chris? Or is it a case that there is value to be found in the market? But clubs like Chelsea, clubs like Manchester United, they're almost not interested in looking at that value. They'd rather sign a player who maybe can boost you know, market, marketable 
aspects of the club in in certain respects it just seems bizarre when you've got i mean you look at Miralem Pjanic for example how much did he cost Juventus was it 30 odd million and you look at someone like Paul Pogba who's going to cost 100 million you look at their stats it it doesn't seem to add up in a way why is it that Premier League clubs are playing these hugely inflated transfer fees I know Juventus you could argue do the same thing with Gonzalo Higuain I think because the need for instant gratification has increased significantly. It, it, let's take, say, Chelsea as a good example. They missed out on the Champions League last season because they had an atrocious season. That will impact a variety of different aspects of the football club. Financially, it will mean they now get significantly less money. I imagine the supporters will be impacted. You could maybe even see a bleed over into ticket sales. Those are just the impact superficially as we look at it now i imagine there are lots of other wider ranging <clears throat> things so when you then have the desire to go out and purchase a striker do you want to take that risk again and buy someone from abroad who may not fit perfectly when you can go and get someone in romelu lukaku that you know can score goals in the premier league actually already knows your club and its infrastructure because he's been in there and then equally has a, a smooth transition. That's that's the problem is that for clubs now, especially the clubs I think at the very elite end of the table, they are so pressured and so painfully aware of the fact that they can't even fail for a season because it will set them back considerably. And I think if you look at Man United, that's exactly why in the same summer they're looking to conclude deals for Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Paul Pogba. It is. Do you, do you think there is at all an element of conservatism or financial? Co- I know it sounds unusual to, say, to call seventy-five million, million financial conservatism, and hundred million for Pogba the same. But essentially, you are getting it, Adam. That these clubs don't really have the time to take a wild card or a bet on any of these players uh, who they need yeah. to develop, and therefore they they almost go down the easy route of well, we'll put seventy-five million on this guy. Um, because it it almost becomes a self like seventy five million and a hundred million almost becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. I th- uh, I think you're right in the sense that Chris speaks of the the risks and the pitfalls and the consequences of missing out. As he says, these elite clubs Chelsea miss out on the Champions League again next season. Where does that leave them? As he says, Manchester United all of a sudden they've gone for players and a manager. Especially, remember when Jose Mourinho was appointed, they were talking about this is a manager who doesn't really suit the philosophy of the club. This is not someone they'd ever usually go for, but they're in such a dire situation in, in, in effect. They need to get back to those winning ways. What is the philosophy of Chelsea? What is Chelsea's philosophy? Because all I tend to see is it tends to be... Um, well, no, I mean... Fa- Fanzu... I, 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 I specifically meant Manchester United. Oh, right, okay. What, what is exactly yeah, the philosophy I mean, I mean, of Manchester Mourinho, United? There's a difference between philosophy Be- and identity, remember? Well, yeah, absolutely. So, what? But what is the what is the philosophy of what is the philosophy of Manchester United? I think the philosophy well, of Manchester United, as they see it, is a club that not only takes the ready-made stars, the likes of Zlatan, but also produces its own on the streets of Manchester. So, a, essentially, a Galactico idea. I wouldn't say Galactico because to me, Galactico is let's go out and buy eleven of the best players and make. No, because the, the Galactico idea originally was one star. One local kid. Uh, okay, that's not how I remember it, but I, I'm happy to agree with you. They lost sight of that pretty quickly, probably. <laughs> I mean, it was the Pavons and Zidane's idea, wasn't it, really? So you're right, I think, in that sense. But I think as, as time has progressed, 
it's evolved. It's just become. It's just been. It's just become Galacticos. Every every player that's big and and is wanted, that's who Real Madrid must buy. Yeah, that 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 did change somewhat. Yeah, and then what's Chelsea's philosophy? I mean, that's the, <laughs> divide and conquer. I think uh, if you look at its transfers of late, its its identity is actually um, let us buy players that can become stars with us, the likes of Diego Costa, etc. But then also have a very steady stream of players a few tiers below that who are younger, the likes of Andreas Christensen, De Bruyne, Lukaku, who then we can take a more patient approach with, loan out and develop into stars. Interesting. Sell and buy them back for seventy million. The irony being, of course, yeah. Well, this is this is exactly, and this is why Lawrence makes a fantastic point when he says there were people saying that Mourinho mm. doesn't fit the blueprint because he didn't have that patience. So when he saw an opportunity yeah. to make a lot of money on Lukaku that he could spend on players, he took the offer straight away. When actually, you could argue with him and De Bruyne, it would have been much better to sit there and, and let them stew, or even put the the buzzword of the summer, which is a buyback clause in. It just yeah. feels so. The whole, like I, I feel like the whole, the whole market this summer sort of illustrates how insane the whole thing is. You know, you'd like to think clubs have long-term planning in place, and they've they've got youth infrastructure infrastructure being built. And like you say, Chris, you're talking about the the players Chelsea loaning out. That you hope they're building to the future there. But I feel like this summer you're just sort of like everyone is scrabbling around. Like you say, the the, the consequences of missing out on the top four of not achieving success every single mm. year mm. is so dire that you're like, right, we have got to chuck 75 million at Luca. I know we sold him two years ago, but we've got to chuck that money on him or otherwise we're going to fall behind. We have well, to do this. And it, it's laziness. more short term. Yeah, it's but laziness. It's laziness. It's laziness. breakdown though. I'd love, well, I mean, Dave, I'd love to see the financial breakdown per goal or per, what they, what they, how they, because there must be a way that they can at least, uh, you know, justify some of that money. So they'll be saying, right, okay, we're going to take a thirty-five million pound hit on this, but actually, it would make sense to buy Romelu for forty, and then they yeah, can say, because you know, per goal, this is how much that is. You know, I doubt they, I doubt they do it that way. But that's a good way. I think that'd be a good method, but I very much doubt that's what football clubs do. I just I think mean, there's lazy, there's laziness in the market, massive laziness. There's laziness like Pogba, to go and develop people. Pogba, that's Pogba's a lazy buy. That's laziness. Yeah. That's a lazy buy. It's instantly getting someone in that's 23 years old from an, from their own academy who was there that they didn't see for and push through to the right level and then going back and buying in three years. That's laziness. That's laziness in play development. That's laziness in seeing what was actually going on in this fella's head, why he didn't get first-team football at that time. That is 100%. Si- signing Zlatan Ibrahimovic, again, is laziness. Signing Henrik Mkhitaryan, a player that is... Get, you know, guaranteed to get goals and assists from wide areas is laziness. It's not developing their own players. Yeah, but Dave, well, Dave, I mean, there's laziness, and then you know, it's the same as saying um, <laughs> it's sort of uh, yeah. Oh, buying Daniel Sturridge is laziness, you know, because he, he's a clear, he's a clear guy who's going to get you something. I mean, McTyrion is a, a reasonable signing. His last time, you can justify both those signs. It's not laziness. It's laziness within sure. the market that it's had got to come to a level that Man United have struggled for three years with their signings, and now they've had to do it. This has been like a four-year process of post-Ferguson, and in that whole time, the transfer windows have been very, very poor and <laughs> lazy, in a way. And now we're getting to this area now where we're like, shit, we've got to get That's Mourinho. I mean. you see no we need this instant Manchester. success. Fans are getting pissed exactly. off. Manchester have to get these shirt sales. Of... Fuck, shit, <laughs> what are we doing? Where's the, guy? Where's the ship going? Oh, fuck, we just crashed into an iceberg. We're all fucking dead. 
I think you've I do got think to, it is. If you get into Ed Woodward's head like that, Dave, that was freaky. You've you got to be careful not to make the exception the rule. I don't think Mkhitaryan is lazy. Yeah. I, yeah. I, th- I think actually Pogba and Lukaku most definitely are, albeit for very different reasons. That Chelsea had to give Mourinho power over those kind of things, otherwise I don't think he comes back. It's it is a lack of overall vision. That's why I think we see the likes of Dortmund continue to sell players like Mkhitaryan for such big money. And yet you look at who mm. they've invested that money so in. So exactly, that's, that's and... the laziness. Man United could have bought Usman Dembele for cheaper than they bought Amrit Mkhitaryan. Um, Usman Dembele has a has a bigger potential, but he's not the instant success. But, and that's where the laziness comes in. It's that laziness of the, the lack of vision of, of a club. It's, it's quite worrying in terms of... Well, it's just not worrying for me as a fan. It's, it's worrying for the market. It's worrying for the global football environment that it's you can't say you can't say though that it's it's laziness because that may also be part of someone else's vision for what they want to build so you know you could say it's all well and good getting Dembele but actually it's all also all well and good getting um Mkhitaryan because you know they're both reasonable buys but I mean the, Mm. the, the the point is that it's it's and I think it's worth making this point with both Spurs and Arsenal at the moment is that both those guys need the fullness of time in order for their plan to come to the fore. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same with uh, Dortmund. Didn't you know, and Royce, Royce, in many ways, is one of the most vindicated players this summer. Captain of his club now, front cover of FIFA, and uh, getting his getting getting Goetze back, essentially. All three of those things you could see as uh, very long-term and short-term gains, all three of which must be incredibly satisfying for Dortmund. And you it's, could argue, it, Royce, if you want to use Dave's analogy... Royce is lazy because he was at Dortmund Ooh. and then went to Gladbach. It, it doesn't necessarily work yeah. like that. I'm sure if you talk to the people at Manchester United, they will tell you buying someone like Dembele then makes it harder for Memphis Depay, who is just a few rungs ahead of him in terms of the development process, to get into the team long term. We don't have enough space to facilitate that. You need, you almost need it to be like a garden. You need plants that you've just put into the soil you also need ones that are slightly more but mature what, but where where are mature sunflowers where are sunflowers that are sitting in the garden that are <laughs> overlooking the next door neighbours seeing what they're doing where are the sunflowers at Manchester United well, and where they're, the, fuck, they're off fucking their also, brother's wife mate well that's, then that's, that's the bloody issue the, su- the sunflowers have gone haven't they they've fucking shot off pissed that, off <laughs> you could argue that's Mkhitaryan and Zlatan those are the established players that <clears throat> to varying degrees Zlatan probably more so have elite experience, have big game experience. Those are the ones that carry forth. And then you have the, the younger ones. Guys like Eric Barley, who they've, they've just picked up from VRL, that's a developmental project relative to the, the rest of the squad. It is. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Dortmund there, Lawrence, because obviously they have... You know, I think it's fair to say they, their transfer policy this summer is something to admire. They're snapping up a lot of promising young players. But do you feel generally that this is a trend that's going across Europe, the, the lack of value in the market the lack of clubs trying to maximize the, the best from their transfers because i mean i mentioned gonzalo higuain there but we're talking about the replacement higuain at juventus is arkadu is milic who they've just splashed 30 million on and i know chris you know we were speaking today for tfr and you are unconvinced that move's going to come off well i'm it's it's nothing against milic personally i just am concerned by some of the situations in his career the fact that he didn't make it at leverkusen the fact that, again, he's found a lot of goals in the Dutch league, which is notorious for this kind of situation. I know. We're, we're, I, I, I don't want to say it's laziness, but in terms of... But that's what I mean then in put terms of he had a good tournament or he had a decent Euro 2016. All of a sudden, Napoli are like, right, we've got all that 
he got any money. They're splash in on Milic without that, I don't know, that due diligence almost. It feels like, obviously, well, it's easy I mean, to yeah, say I mean, that to from be, the outside. Me, yeah, but Adam, come on. I mean, there were people who were also saying, well, I've loved him for a long time. Oh, you guys only <laughs> find him at Euro 2016. Um, it's also worth saying that, it, you know, we know that when a club, we know how Spurs suffered in the transfer market after Bale um, went because people went well. Uh, sorry, we know you've got 100 million in the bank. Uh, yeah, where's that money coming from? I think it's also worth saying that um, I think there are some untold pressures within the game, which I think happen in a lot of industries. But actually, because a people are professionals, um, they don't necessarily get talked about or spoken about. Um, B people are slightly in denial of what their role really is in, it, within the club because either they want to make it bigger or they want to reduce it, and that depends on whether it's seen as a success or not. Mm. Um, i.e. people like, uh, you know, um, scouts and people like that, or even someone right. at the top like Ed Woodward, you know, or oh, do, um, do I have direct influence over the transfer? Maybe, maybe not. And then at the same time, there's also a really interesting podcast and book called Freakonomics. And one of their uh, main writers, uh, I can't remember his name, um, it, it's not the main one, uh, but what the main economist who wrote the book is also a consultant. He speaks about a time when he went to um, an electronics company that was advertising across the city of sh- a lot, a lot of different areas, right? And he went to the PR team and said to the PR team, "Listen, we need to work out." Uh, how effective your advertising is. And you can do a very similar exercise in football. Maybe it isn't direct, but you can definitely do it. And he said, look, we need to stop advertising in newspapers during Christmas and uh, Black Friday because both of those, I think people are automatically going to buy anyway. And the PR team, instead of turning around and saying, yeah, we'll test that, said, yeah, but if we do that and it fails, it's our head on the block. And there's an element which is similar in football, which is essentially if we make a transfer or if we go for a big risk and it fails, which is, you know, essentially doing the money ball when you're not backed from the top to do that, uh, buying a number of people who aren't proven within the league, etc. And that fails, then we get treated like Brendan Rodgers because we get treated as pariahs. Whereas if we go with the sure bets and we invest a a lot of money, which we know is in the coffers anyway, then we're golden. And there are so it's almost people, less risky in a way, isn't it? Weirdly. Well, it is, it is a lot less risky. But then you look at the outrage at clubs like Arsenal. You look at the outrage um, a couple of years ago at clubs like Spurs. You look at what Brendan Rodgers said at Liverpool and then the way that he was treated as a pariah when it ultimately his model didn't fail but didn't come to fruition fast enough. And even then, I was watching Moneyball uh, the other night. And even during the time when... Uh, you know they built the they needed a bit of time for that squad to gel together during the movie people are saying they don't know what they're doing you know these people have no idea they've not taken this into account they've not taken that into account because the fact is that this industry is also built upon narrative and Kristen knows this you know this people are always looking for stories and actually it doesn't matter whether you're doing a good job or not there will always be someone who can find the opposite thing to say so in the beginning of the season, Jurgen Klopp is uh, is training his players hard. There's that fucking guy who comes out the woodwork every year who says someone's <laughs> going to get injured. You know what, yes. mate? You're fucking right because people get injured because they have bodies. But ultimately, he he shops himself around off that because and and the same happens in transfers. People, someone will call it, someone won't, and ultimately we all know it. You know, there's the the footy. Uh, people of the world who have who have who have shitty accounts who have bought their views but ultimately make a fucking business off it oh my God. and they're and they're oh my God. 
and they no don't do it what, you, you know what I'm saying? The guy, the guys yeah. who basically shot themselves round as ITKs or whatever, and it's bollocks because actually those guys don't know very much, and there are very few people who do know actually within the industry, and those people probably keep their mouths shut. Do you know <laughs> why? Because they, it, it turns out that transfers aren't actually that interesting. But you, you're probably right in that regard. But I think you hit it on the head in terms that was tough, of that, Lawrence. Wasn't I think tough, you Dave. Them. It was it was exactly what we needed all to say and hear. Hashtag. <laughs> um, but no, I think you speak to there in terms of. I didn't directly reference anyone. I just said footy. Nope. Well, you were yeah. talking to me, weren't you? You big cunt. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> but Lawrence, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of you're talking about you're talking about impatience almost in the, that immediately for success. And it doesn't just come from the clubs. It comes from the fans. It comes from people talking about the game, reporting about the game, everyone's trying to but you know, satisfy it, it, it a doesn't, certain It doesn't hunger. come from the fans. It doesn't come from the fans because, you know, oh, they demand success. No, the fans, do, the fans do not demand success. What do the fans demand is, what the fans demand is exactly what, and over the past week, I think a lot of people have seen the Bobby Robson quotes going around. They demand to have something that, of value. And I think what people mistake for value is money. And the money within the game uh, is the the easiest way to say, well, there's your value. And, you know, we've all seen the Bobby Robson quotes. Chris, you've probably seen them more than anyone over the past week of people saying, why did I fall in love with Newcastle? Why did I fall in love? You know, because I feel people are losing that, surely. People are losing that. Yeah, but they're losing that that because, because people are taking those shortcuts or clubs are taking those shortcuts and mistaking where the value comes from within their club. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm making my uh, all my money off, you know, love and sunflowers. But what I am, <laughs> what, what I do value is is when is when the club actually values something about the fans. And I don't think every set of fans demand uh, success. They don't. It's just they just don't. Chris, do, do Newcastle fans demand success? No, they demand sporting integrity, which is what exactly. every fan wants. What, what I will say is I think... I think as the game has evolved, the connection with the club has become sometimes harder to achieve and feel. Mm. And I think with social media in general, and I speak from experience here, you tweet anything out about a club. Say I tweeted right now something very generic about Sunderland and a feeling about Moyes. I guarantee you I will have at least three or four replies to that asking for the latest transfer news, the latest rumour, who's the latest player through, have I heard who's going... I open my DMs and will get about half a dozen DMs a day asking if I know who it is. And it's, in a lot of ways, it's made the What's relationship... What's your Twitter handle? Um, at L-O-Z-C-A-S-T. <laughs> Brilliant. Feel um, <laughs> those DMs. The thing is, it's made the relationship very inhumane. It's made it very kind of just like you're a, an ATM machine for transfers. They just come in, ask what they want, and then you give them something and they go away. There's not... Yeah, but Chris, you don't... You don't but essentially, also... I mean, I understand where you're coming from with that, because actually you're, you're a person who wants to develop a reasonable relationship. I think you see that as a, a key to developing a wider conversation. But the fact is that, you know, you... All of us work within the industry here. And, you know, we're maybe... We're speaking from a privileged perspective in the sense that we all go, you know, we all go to talks and things like that. And people go, we're the we're the gatekeepers to this. We're the people who hold the keys to the players. You know, it, what's important is uh, getting you, cl- getting the fans closer to blah, 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 uh, getting the fans closer to the players. But what we ultimately know is that those gatekeepers need to maintain that 
status. So it's the same as um, it's the same. It's, it's the same as a baker baking a cake. And when you go and that is brilliant, can you give me the recipe? Them going no, because the, is... ultimately they want to keep that status. And the fact is that the, the press have engineered something where, and a lot of people have engineered something where it's like I'm the only one who can get you the access to this, and it, 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 it serves <laughs> them. It serves them. <laughs> To, to to make that relationship because it puts them in a position where they can make money from it, they can monetize it and essentially they give themselves social value but how long term that is I don't know. This is why as well I think that fan channels have become so popular and uh, that is by no means a criticism, it is much to say that as the relationship between fan and club has eroded and essentially become harder to manage because of globalisation and all that kind of stuff the fan channels offer you that feeling of togetherness and that feeling of identity that clubs don't. And yet even the fan channels now, you hear some of them talk about having sources in clubs and all this kind of thing. The transfers for people who maybe don't have those fan channels is a way to feel connected, like you know something. And it's, it's a, the relationship between fan and club in general now is so weird and convoluted. It's, it's not mm. as, as simple and traditional as it used to be now. I do feel... You're right, Lawrence, in the sense that not all fans demand success, but I feel like they do all demand progress in a way. And I feel there's, yeah, there, but, there, is, an, there is an impatience for it. Every season they want to see the club building, the club going towards something. And, you know, we see it every season. If, if, the, if they don't quite match those expectations, even if they've done well, then you're gone. I mean, it doesn't so just... Then, co- so I think what, it's unfair what? to say it's just the clubs demanding it but then and the clubs is, making these what, changes. What is the fans for Leicester City this season? Survive in the Premier League. I'd say finishing top half would almost be progress, but I'm not sure the fans would see it that way. I'm not sure the club would see it that way. But that, but but you what you're but what a lot of people are going to say is well, last season they won the league, and they're going to have to put it in some sort of context. So it has but, to be contextualised. It's that some fans, some people, uh, some people will take a story and try to make it. Uh, essentially now I think a lot of journal- there are some journalists who focus on the facts and there are some journalists who focus on their fiction writing and mm. there are some and there are some people who live in uh, th- the problem is uh, not the problem but maybe uh, you have to be a more discerning reader in a sense because there are a lot of bloggers out there who don't have a source who don't have a, all these kind of things it's, and it's very it's fine to make observations about a club it, it all builds the conversation but at the same time it, f- there's, uh, then there are some people who have to make... There are so many stories that are almost just completely made up. Mm. I read an article by Stan Collymore the other day, and the article oh, was, Jurgen Klopp is going to have to try harder because, because <laughs> Ronald Koeman is in the city. Now, I yeah. don't know at all what that means. Because... I, I, he's got I, to try. He's got, you've got to try. Jürgen, essentially what he says, Jurgen Klopp's got to try harder. Jurgen Klopp's got to do better. But purely because Ronald Koeman is at the club. I don't know. I don't know how that made it into a newspaper or onto a website. <laughs> if you want um, a recognised broadcaster with a history of engaging fans, increasing audiences, Stan is available. And, is and available, indeed, a journalist. He is. He speaks two uh, languages at least. <laughs> we, we should. Pl- we plop him in a few more European capitals during a riot. We'll find out how many languages he speaks. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting discussion we're having i think it, it does tie into what jake's going to talk about later about how transfers really work behind the scenes and how clubs view them all this sort of stuff but 
to save us having a three-hour podcast, we should move on to the questions. There's so many questions <laughs> to get through. Um, but I think it is interesting. I feel like, you know, the transfer market has... It feels like this summer, especially, it is starting to spiral out of control. And we're seeing all these... We're seeing the effects of all the, the factors we're talking about there, the clubs and, and, and the fans demanding progress. Uh, and the clubs sort of... They're, they're buying success at any price, essentially, because, as we said, uh, failure is not an option. So many questions coming in this week on Twitter. First up, uh, Bedon Spurs, Bedon Spurs, says, will Sterling ever leave Manchester City? Mm. Um, what do you reckon, uh, Chris? Some suggestions that his, his place is under threat from uh, the, the new signing, Leroy Sané, today. I see why. They're quite similar players. I think they have the same deficiencies as they do strengths, though, in that sense. Whether he leaves, I think that'll depend how he performs this summer or this season, rather. Um, I, th- I think the pressure for him is good, though. I think it's the right kind of pressure. It's not an intense expectation. It's an opportunity to grow and improve. HJD Cornish writes in saying, "What do you think about the new Torino kits? In my opinion, the best of the new season so far." While I look up the Torino kit, Lawrence, why don't you tell us what your favourite kit is so far this season? Is there a strip that's stood out for you? I've always liked the Torino kits, but that, that, their colour makes them very easy to design for because it's it's, um, it's sort of a um, what, what would you? What, it's a red. It, it's a really kind of deep, rich red, which is quite nice. Um, I've I've seen. Has anyone else seen the new Roma away kit? This oh, the Roma away kit as well. No, the white one with the like a weird wolf on it. Now mm. it's got like a wolf head instead of. It's their, cool. It's their Lupetto badge. Uh, I'm reliably informed, which it's, it's to mark their 90th anniversary or something like that. Uh, yeah, it apparently. looks like a five year old drew it. Um, it's nice. You're not though. a fan. Uh, I've seen it up close. It looks a little bit. It looks. Fine. It's fine. Um, the, it the Torino yeah, kit is nice. Yeah. Uh, nothing amazingly special for me personally. Uh, I think my favourite kit is. What about Real Madrid's? What about the new? You know what? The Barcelona away purple is quite nice. And the new it's uh, not bad. third kit for Real Madrid is quite nice. The um, the one that looks the, like it's got Pokeballs on it. What did you, what did you make of the, uh, the so called toxic green? third Liverpool kit that came out you found out uh, you know what I actually do I quite like that it's quite nice cool. I, like, I like all the kits this season they're all nice kits uh, yeah. Dave have you got a favourite kit this season I mean you're a fan of the, the Adidas designs for Man United not really but I like the I really like the Zebra kit Juventus Zebra kit oh, oh very yeah. nice yeah. very That's nice they're wild pack isn't it do you yeah, not like the United very wild. Kits, Dave do you not like yeah, the United right. home they're kit just, they're just a bit like I, I want. I want some. Yeah, that's what I mean. They're just they're just kits, right? I want something like a zebra. You incorporate like a devil into it into the shirt somewhere, or you do something a bit different. I think they're a bit lazy, horns. really. But that's he my personal opinion. What he wants. Yeah, yeah, he, he, horns he, he, on the arms or something. He wants it to look like yeah. a onesie. Do you, does it not worry anyone else that the the um, Manchester United do still sort of have the devil on their kit? Is that they're that evil, aren't they? <laughs> evil bastards. Do you, do you never? Do you, does that never strike you? Like, do you yeah. never just think that's a, that's really unusual that we actually have like what most people say is the worst thing ever <laughs> to humanity? I've not considered it in that way until now. You you I mean, made me rethink everything. It is like uh, a dystopian future that is sort of like oh what, what worship you, the devil the devil now. yeah exactly yeah and it's the biggest type of I mean yeah Edward <laughs> does have those glazed over eyes doesn't he? Chris, do you have a favourite kit this season? 
Um, not really. No, none have jumped out at me. I haven't really been keeping an eye on them, to be honest. Really? Excellent. Oh, Chris, that's not like you. <laughs> Disappointing. <laughs> uh, Louie Murad writes in, which team has impressed you most in pre-season thus far? Chris, any shouts? Uh, again, not really. <laughs> I've been relatively. Yeah, Barcelona. Actually, no, I take that back. I watched Barcelona against Celtic, and it was, it was uh, the gap in quality was frightening. (laughs) (laughs) What about Man United, Dave? You had uh, Zlatan scoring that old uh, kid the other day. Bit meh. Yeah, but they're they're working on it. But I think the team that's really impressed me, PSG. They've been they've been looking really really good. Um, A lot more direct, uh, like fast in their attacks. Defensively, look very very sound. I think they're going to be. A danger in the Champions League for a lot of the big clubs, and you know they've had, they had that lad that went to um, the under nineteen European Championship that came out top scorer. I think his name is something like Augustine or something like that. I think Jean Francis Augustine, who was directly involved in seven goals in that tournament, so a lot of talent there. But also um, Bayern Munich have looked really good. They look a lot more direct. Mm. Ribery looks like he's back in the game, and uh, David Alaba, I think, was playing in the band of three behind the striker and scored an absolute corker. Um, in their last game. So I think, yeah, Bayern Munich are looking really impressive in PSG. Louis I love that. Angelotti just goes into anywhere and he just goes, yeah, right, so let's good. have a bit of fun. Where do you want it's to so play? good. Yeah, in the three. Yeah, <laughs> wicked. Let's give it a try. Fuck I actually did a, did a bit of a banger of a tweet, Lawrence, that was about that, that how Angelotti is so good at moving sides on after sort of a dictator, you know, post-Mourinho, goes in and, and plays, you know, gets Real Madrid to play a little bit more possession-based football, goes to Bayern Munich after another dictator and goes, look, lads, let's get the ball forward a bit quicker. Yeah. Simple, I isn't did, it? I, I didn't know. Sorry, I didn't see that tweet, David, about your mute. <laughs> um, Louis also asked... Um, You've also, got me on which, mute. Which... Oh, hold on, oh, Adam. Oh, hold the, hold the bloody horses. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, Lawrence, is that which, is that uh, bad or is that true? Dave, come on, that's absolute. No, no obviously, don't, that's, don't obvious, you, that's don't absolute. You there. <laughs> it's amazing how much me and Lawrence have got in common. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking some, wankers. Some digs getting thrown at uh, David. Um, okay. Louis yeah, also said that as well, Adam. Which <laughs> alternate name, if any, for the podcast did you prefer? Ooh, God, Which alternate name, if any, for the podcast did you prefer? What did we uh, say when we? Uh, someone did suggest last week that we play. Um, we got like the top four or something because Kristen is uh, on the podcast quite often, which is a nice idea, but not yeah. going to happen. Um, it's a strong brand. Um, <laughs> what about? Oh, what else did we come up with? Um, the back three we had, but then that was like, oh, we're too defensive. We, no, oh, we also yeah, had the back the three, front. but then we also, but Dave sense. also said, Dave also said the back three is also susceptible to uh, issues, <laughs> at which point we were like, oh yeah, you're right, good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> do we also just consider like generic names, like, you know, uh, know football, football fun times and like... Yeah. <laughs> in the monologue. Yeah. <laughs> I think originally we might have said we need to try and fit the name football in there, but then the front three just sounded right. It just sounded right. Yeah, mm. as, soon as, as soon as you said it, it just, you know... It just clicked. It sounded good, the front um, three. Kristen and the front three. It just sounds so right, yeah. doesn't it? It's like a weird band over there. It's like Bob Marley and the Whalers. Do you That's know why I've got them t-shirts made? Here's, here's one. Uh, oh, it's quite tough, but I think quick fire answers. Dave, you're going to be first. All right. Okay. Basic question, says Thomas Lang. Who do you think will win the title in the top five European leagues this season? 
Dave, who's going to win the Premier League? Manchester United. La Liga. Um, Atletico Madrid. Oh, Bundesliga. Uh, Dortmund. Serie A. Uh, Juve. And Liga. PSG. Chris. Premier League. Man City. Juventus. Wow. Barcelona. Bayern Munich. And PSG. Uh, Lawrence? Uh, the only way that I disagree with Chris there is in the Premier League. Ooh. You know, Man City aren't a bad shout. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. No, you know what? I'll get, yeah, I'll go with all those. Fa- I think that all those yeah. guys have got to be the favourites for each league, though, haven't they, really? Barcelona. The only thing, the only reason I'd say Barcelona might not win there, they look so laid back right now. They, it, it, it's ridiculous how laid back that side. I'd love to see them come up against a challenge, and I think Real Madrid and Atletico are going to be real uh, challenges to them this season. Um, I am going to agree entirely with uh, with Chris and Lance there. Man City, I think Guardiola is going to smash it in his first season. Come on, lads, think yeah, outside reasons, the box. Yeah, more um, reasons to, to mute Dave on <laughs> The true Geordie writes in. Uh, no way. He what said... Bloody legend. Uh, Ask Adam if he fancies being on my new show, The Transfer Chancer, where we rate the chances of transfers out of 10. I like it. It It's original, innovative. If it was out of five. I've never seen it before. That will work. That would be be my one one pointer. Put it down to five. More bite size. We should should do that. Didn't we originally think of making a channel called, uh, it was going to be something like Football Bi-Weekly. Something like that. Well, that was going to be. That was going to be a good thing. But then we realised, you know what? There's absolutely no merit in stealing other people's ideas and then doing them yourself. But I think it, it fucking Lawrence doesn't seem to have made it throughout the industry. There's a, there's a lot of similar ideas cropping up in the world, guys. You know, these things happen. We were going to call it space. the three passive-aggressive guys who are podcast. It will be. Yeah. <laughs> it's a. Uh, God, it's an accurate term. I mean, we're talking about a, that's a big YouTuber running. Trejory, thanks for listening. He's not listening. Uh, Walter Smith from Boom Rising speaking. TV also writes it. Walter said, "Top four predictions in order and why?" Oh God, that's a tough question. Um, I will go first to give you guys time to think that Man City are going to top the table, as I just said. Second, I think will be Manchester United. I think the Mourinho effect and the Pogba effect is going to take hold. Third, oh God, Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal always in the top one. I think fourth, heart overhead. Somehow, Spurs are going to pip Chelsea and Liverpool, and the rest to it. Um, Lawrence, what are you saying? City. Mm-hmm. Spurs United. Spurs second. Yeah. City Spurs United. Yeah, Liverpool. <laughs> Whoa! In the... Wow. Okay, Chris. Honestly, sounded like Alan Parage negotiating Lynn's pay rise there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think City, uh, City, United, Chelsea, Tottenham. Ooh. Yes, uh, Dave. Um, I'm going to go. C- no, going to go United. Then yeah. City. I think United are going to pip City. Um, I think Pep yeah. may take a little bit more time to find his best team. Um, whereas if United, you get do sign Pogba and this Bay Chris Smalling relationship, 
works in the first game. I think that's a big thing. Is the faster that can get set, the better. Um, and then I'm going to go with Arsenal in third, yeah. um, and Chelsea in fourth. Ooh, I think I think I think they are a supernova waiting to happen, Chelsea. <laughs> I know it's going to be fun though, right? It's just gonna, it could really gonna go be, either way that one. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean they're either going to absolutely explode at the end of the season, or they're going to absolutely <laughs> explode at the end of the season. Oh dear, um, Maximilian V. Sandin writes in, uh, new listener uh, potentially, at least the uh, first time he's asked a question, I believe. He said, "Why do you think mid-table sides like Swansea are struggling with the market?" Chris, I'm going to come to you on this one. Looks like Ashley Williams could be off to Everton, although there's reports uh, yesterday evening that Swansea have now rejected that bid. It doesn't seem like they're signing a lot of players, although they have tied. Gilfie Sigurdsson down to a new deal. Would you agree with Maximilian that mid-table sides are struggling? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the market? I wouldn't say so much struggling as much as they're a little bit uncertain because whenever I've read about Swansea and, and those who make the decisions, they're usually very... Uh, methodical in their approach they don't like to waste money they don't like to do deals that could have a potential to to fall flat and I think that's unsettling them a little bit is they're so focused heavily on the structure financially of the club they're not willing to to throw that money in like maybe other clubs are good answer hard to disagree with that Uh, Matt Brownie Cake Matt Brownie Cake, funnily enough, said, "Would you ever do a podcast with Stan Collymore?" <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would. Uh, oh, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to be passive aggressive towards Stan for an hour. Yeah, it would be so like it would be so transparent. Be like, I think that's the issue. Is, is actually, I think, I think there is a. The thing is with Stan, I think there's a fascinating conversation to be had there with him. It's just that I don't think Stan. Uh, and very often with ex-footballers, they just don't get used in the way that I would use them. I, mm. You know, and I'm not interested in how most people do use them. Um, so, you know, he's, I'm sure he has a lot of interesting things to say. I'm just not sure that everything that Stan says is interesting. In the same way that not everything that everyone says is interesting. Very true. Ollie Shep, 97, says, Why do transfers get dragged out for ages? It's annoying as fuck. Ollie, keep listening. Stay tuned. Jake Cohen addresses this very question. Um, next question is from Ray Burke He said, Who will win the Ballon d'Or first, Neymar, Bale, or Pogba? What do you reckon, Dave? Neymar, Bale, or Pogba? No, Gareth Bale. Oh, 
because he's a little bit further down his career line. Well, that's right now. Would you agree with that, Lawrence? Um, I would just wonder if the timing is right for Bale. Um, that's a fair point. Uh, you know, whether it, whether it's the right cycle for him to win it and whether, you know, th- th- I suppose that's the point with Neymar is actually he's going to be the next big thing. Yeah, uh, more, uh, I feel like he's more prolific. Bale will be right in his, his peak then, right? Yeah, well, that's what in, I'm, that, I'm trying to work out. I'm just trying to work out. And I think it, probably now he's under Zidane, probably so. So uh, Bale next, but it'll be a close. I mean, it'll be the same, it'll be a similar relationship between Neymar and Bale, I'd imagine, by that point than it is with Messi, Ronaldo. Chris? I agree with Dave, I think it'd be Bale. Christian Bale. At Sitter, one writes in, why does Dave hate Guardiola so much? Is it because he's better than Mourinho? I don't hate Mourinho. I don't hate Guardiola. I think he's you a top manager. You're saying it. You're saying you it. You and I have yeah. and you hate Guardiola. Yeah, what's your problem? Well, well I think I've been mis... You know, mis- <laughs> There's been some miscommunication for not the first time this week. Yeah, no, I think Guardiola's brilliant. I think that the Guardiola style of football and the, the, his whole mantra and the, the philosophy that the side that they've gone down is brilliant. But I also think that the Mourinho side is, is good. I, I like how Guardiola then, moves Dave. players on. I like how um, he likes to split the lines and that's how he, how he plays teams. I like how he, he thinks outside the box to solve problems. I, I think he's a top, top boss. You know, the amount of tactical evolutions that he's made, the false nine, the inverted fullback, which didn't quite work. Um, you know, bringing Sergio Busquets, Pedro into the Barcelona team, the unity that he brought there. He's a fantastic manager, and there's, you know, he is one of the best in the world, if not the best. Well, if you love him so much, why don't you marry him? God damn! Oh, this is just <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah, you can't win either way, can you? He's um, <laughs> oh, such a loser. Stop licking his ass. Sal <laughs> Delgado said to Squawker Dave, "Who would you choose to be your wingman?" This one's easy. Of Adam, it's, it's quite easy to be honest. Easy. Sorry, lads, it's got to be Boltwood. Why me? What are you talking about? Uh, uh, Boltwood. We've been out. We've been out a few times actually, <laughs> around in the clubs in London. And I'm like Boltwood. Can you uh, can you help me out here, pal? <laughs> <laughs> he walks over the Boltwood stroll. Have you see my mate yeah, over there? Look at him. It's been, it's, been, it's been hit. It's been it's been hit in the gym up this week, and then they oh, walk okay. over, and that's it. Did you say he's been hit in the face? No, he's been hit in the gym. That happened. Oh, right. Okay. I thought you said Jim hit him in the face. If you want to see more of those nights out, you know, there's lots of places in London that stay open late. You've had a few people run into you, haven't you, on those? I have, yeah. I'm not looking forward to them when I'm really plastered. That would be great. Dave, I'm gutted. I always thought that you picked your best-looking mate to be your wingman, but apparently not. No, I just think... I don't know. I do a good job, though, he, just got, he did, but he did, Lawrence. What are you talking about? Yeah, you see, I think me and Bob would have definitely done this before. It's happened. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, mate. I, think, happened. I, I do it think that is part happen. of the issue. I tell you what, me and you though, Lawrence, get on the uh, the dating app double, right? I already feel sick and deluded. And yeah. <laughs> my girlfriend said she agreed. I've got the skills to be the wingman. So yeah, yeah woo! something. I even met me. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Do you think Chris would be a good wingman, even though you've never met him? <laughs> Look at that nervous laugh. Look what I've got. Look how unsettled I've got already. <laughs> She's tempted to leave you for me. That's how good I am. 
That's... She said. She said they're all such catches. She said. That is also the laugh Calm of yourself, a girlfriend. Jesus. That is also the laugh of a girlfriend who sort of says, "What's Don't going give on? Shit about your little podcast. <laughs> yeah. Can we just go to bed? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> can't, can't follow uh, Great question here. <clears throat> Back to an actual football question. Matt says, "Worst signing of the window so far." Um, which is a t- another tough question. Tough questions coming into that. Worst signing so far, Chris. Have you got any suggestions? Ah, uh, crap. Milik probably. Yeah. Oh, no, no. He's a good wingman. If you, you like Milik, do you, Dave? Oh. Yeah, I like Milik. I think he, he he started very well in the Euros. Missed a, a few too many chances for my liking, but I think he's all round. He's got the right instincts. He's in the right areas. He's attacking the right space. He's quite a clever forward. I think in this Napoli side, that is geared towards creating a lot of chances. And if he can get a good run at the start. I think he'll be absolutely fine. You know, they've got Jorginho conducting it. And obviously, Hamzik in there, Alan, um, Insignia. I still think they've got a core to a team that you just put another striker in there and they'll do apps. You know, they will compete for the Serie A title. How much potential is there, Chris, for Moussa Zizoko to Real Madrid for 30-odd million? Has that got a lot of potential to be the worst transfer the window? Or do you think this is some sort of masterstroke? Oh, at the minute, Milik's holding the trophy, waiting for Sissoko to take it off him. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I, I have emotional feelings about Sissoko that cloud judgment slightly, but he's not worth thirty million, and I also think he'd really struggle in a team like Real Madrid. What a good one! Um, not so much a good one, just a one that's going to want to try and pass the ball a bit and not use the the physical assets. I mean, he has; he's got exceptional, truly world class pace, a stamina, athleticism, all that stuff. I don't think his technical skills are good enough for, for a team. Good, I mean, does, does that not partly come down to coaching then? But I mean, yeah, I guess that's part of the problem, isn't it? Is that actually Benitez is an excellent sort of tactical coach. I'm not sure how good he is on sort of raising a player's technical ability. Mm. Um, I think that he very much thinks that's down to the player. And then I'd imagine that if you go to Real Madrid, there's almost a, I don't know, maybe it's more balanced under Zidane. I think I saw, um, was it Verizon? Bought someone called Yahoo for 4.8 billion. I don't think there's any uh, there's oh, no value in that one. <laughs> yeah, there's no value in that one. Is great that, deal. Has that deal, legitimately but, gone through as someone um, that writes for Yahoo? I'm curious. No, I don't know. I, I just I typed in uh, like worst deal on on, uh, on Twitter and that's <laughs> popped up straight away. Yahoo. I was like, Jesus. Just um, like to take this opportunity to praise our glorious new overlords Verizon. <laughs> yeah. <Have> you, <laughs> <laughs> you got any uh, suggestions, Lawrence? Verizon 94 mil. Um, no, you know, I think that's absolutely fine. I do. I do. I'm trying to think of a worse transfer. I don't. Um, it's hard to be. How can you judge it? I mean, obviously, we're making some massively. Uh, it's sort of it's sort of based on one or two friendlies where they've had ten minutes mm. to sort of. You know, I've seen a lot. Sure, Wijnaldum's not scored a goal. With that, you know, a lot of people have suggested um, could be in that category. I think Vinaldum yeah. could be in that category just because the, pro- the problem with him is if he doesn't score goals you really do question what he's putting in so if he's played in a deeper role which I think Klopp played him in the other night then yeah. I think he'll struggle but I, again, th- I think, it's gonna, I think though it's also going to take time for Klopp to find the right uh, orientation for each of those players. I think it's one or two guys who he knows roughly, preferably where Coutinho plays, roughly, preferably where Chan plays. It's sort of how those players begin to complement each other. Um, so, you know, we'll see. But, you know, I mean, uh, it's worth mentioning one album, but it would be so unfair to call him the worst signing yeah. of the windows over Arkansas. He's had like, you know, 45 minutes. I've seen quite a lot of 
people suggest that Vincent Janssen could well mm. prove to be the worst because he's coming from the Eredivisie, as Chris mentioned earlier. Um, doesn't necessarily have the best record to the Premier League, but he's hoping. Fingers crossed. Touch wood. All that. Um, Matt Brownie-Cake again uh, with another question. Sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the crazy transfer fees. Let's ask you this one, Lawrence. Are quality mm. strikers, midfielders and defenders in short supply because football is not as good as it used to be? <gasps> no generalization. way! Is football... I don't want to swear. Is football shit, Lawrence? Yeah. No, it isn't. No, it's not shit. Um, it's fine. And Where I are all them? the quality strikers? Defenders everywhere. Where's all the Garys? Yep. There's loads. There are are a lot of... There's a lot of quality players out there right now. We're just finding that... I think just because because they're not on the market doesn't mean they're not good. I mean, you know, some players just find the right place to be. You know, Griezmann doesn't want to leave because he's in a place where he's happy. Um, You know, Zlatan has gone to Manchester United. He's a quality striker. Daniel Sturridge is a good striker. Harry Kane's a great striker at Spurs. You know, Aubameyang is a fantastic striker striker at Dortmund. Lewandowski's a great striker. There's a load of great strikers out there. It's just just because they don't want to move doesn't mean they're in short supply. What you're saying there is they're they're not being transferred and therefore they're not around. Um, Just because the market is not there for them doesn't mean they're... Lukaku's moving... For ridiculous money, he winds me. Mm. There's a load of great uh, examples. Dybala! Di- I mean, Dybala. I mean, the, it, the point is, it, those people are there. Just because they want to move doesn't mean they're not there. Mm. And I think that shows sort of the the uh, you know the myopic nature of the transfer window. That suddenly you sort of think, well, uh, you know, it, obviously you're always looking for upgrades, but actually I think there's a number of managers out there and look at what they have and coach it to get better. And, you know, I think there's a number of people who are doing that at the moment. Here is an interesting question. I'm going to give it to Chris. Simran Janda, thank you so much for your question. He writes in, he says, essentially he wants us to weigh up 120 million on Pogba versus 120 million on the spine, potential new spine of this Man City team. He's talking John Stones, Ilkay Gundogan, Nalito, and of course, Leroy Sané. He says, surely the latter is the better business chris how would you sort of weigh that one up would you rather have a pound of grapes or a pound of apples essentially that's what you're asking me to do i, I don't how think... many apples is that but in terms of i mean in terms of <laughs> well they've both got different needs as well i don't i don't think for argument's sake that man united need the three players that city are buying in the same way what that needs do apples have Oh, so many. Um, Why don't they just make a pie? Um, exactly. See, you've got so I've never many had a grape pie. It's clearly the apples. What an idiot <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, Maybe we should they've, do that. They've got two different um, set of needs. And I think, yeah. honestly, if I was personally starting a club tomorrow and buying one, and I didn't have a budget, I'd start I'd with football players. For, I'd probably buy Pogba. Not great. <laughs> oh, right. I think there's two. If it was on FIFA, I'd buy the Pogba. I mean, that means nothing, really. Um, Dave, I want to give you the final question. Oh, and crap. It's, and it's this <laughs> handsome guy writing in, uh, Adam the Wingman Boltwood. He writes in and he says... Someone already Dave, made that as a as a Twitter account, despite the fact that the show's not even come out yet. No, well, I'm just making it up, Lawrence. I've got you. Okay. <laughs> the question is, Dave, 
yes. Wayne Rooney's testimonial tonight, Wednesday. Yep. Is he a Manchester United legend for you, Dave? And if nope. not, why not? Well, I think the, the first difficulty for being a Manchester United legend, playing in Manchester, is that he originally is from Liverpool. Obviously, there's great rivalry between the two uh, two two um, brilliant cities, but it's always going to be there. And inherently, he's not one of our own, as, as a lot of the London clubs do oh. sing songs about that. But also, on the flip side of that, that he's tried to leave Manchester United on two occasions. You know, I was I love Wayne Rooney before the two transfer requests, but the two transfer requests shows a real lack of trust in the club, a lack of trust in some uh, an institution that's put so much into a, a raw 18-year-old and turned him into a superstar. And from that moment where Wayne Rooney needed to take control of the club and, and be the club and uh, you know evolve players around him to be as good as he is, be the club. he stopped. And he's been strolling for the last four years, not really doing anything. And I do feel that if Wayne Rooney wanted to position himself as a Manchester United legend, even though he has scored all these goals, he should have not handed in that transfer request and he should be the one that's driving this Manchester United side forward, not in a way holding it back like he has done over the last few seasons. I do, I do have to admit there are there there's a lot of narrative construction with Wayne Rooney. And ever since that, you know, every asset um, of Nike's has been very well constructed. It's happened since the Michael Jordan years and we reference it over and over and over again. Ronaldo... Zlatan, any of those guys. Now, I think that if Ronaldo or Zlatan had held a club to the same sort of um, uh, ransom that Wayne, Wayne Rooney did, I think it would be seen as a more powerful power play. But the fact is, because it's Wayne Rooney and because of the other factors that Dave, some of the other factors that Dave has already described, and also the fact that Wayne Rooney's agent is not the most popular mm. guy in the game, um, it, it, it doesn't serve him in the same way. I think if Zlatan had done that at another club, we we might have seen that as a power play. We'd have seen that mm. as a Zlatan tells the club, shape up or I'm out. But then similarly, it would be, for me, if Zlatan said that at my football club, I'd feel the same way. I'd feel, yeah, like, still, it, to be honest, yeah, like, with David De Gea, David De Gea, I'm not a massive fan of David De Gea as a person because he wanted to leave Manchester United. And that's yeah, the thing, Dave, because yeah, Dave, it's, it's nothing to do with... Difference. Dave, there's a massive difference between David De Gea and Wayne Rooney trying to leave. Why? Wayne Rooney was... Because David De Gea is trying to go back to a country where he's from yeah, to but, play for uh, one of the biggest teams in the To support a club, and, and uh, I don't care about that. The biggest team in the world for me is Manchester United. Yes, I don't give a shit about Real Madrid. And that's, that's, that's what I'm bringing again, Lawrence. It's, it's the fan representation of why Wayne Rooney will never be a Manchester United legend. Or even David De Gea won't be a Manchester United legend because these things have happened. And they've been very, very clear. Why is that rubbish? Because it's so hard to resent a player wanting to go back Uh, to their own country. Easy, dead easy. Especially especially when there are so many ungrateful people or people who are so quick to turn on a guy. Now, Wayne Rooney, uh, I can understand that because that is multiple uh, instances. But David De Gea, now, Dave, it's the same as, um, you know, the number nine coming to you and saying, Dave, we've got a job for you. Do you want, you know, I don't know, a big stats company coming to you and going, Dave, we want you to come here. And you go, sure, I'd, I'd love to. Bullshit. Bullshit. I mean, you know, you're going to take the job. I just dropped my phone, mate. Um, no comment, Lawrence. Um, but this is not a football club that I, I you know, it's, it's a different thing. I work for a company, not a football club. If I work for a football club, it it'd is, be very different. It, it is. I feel Wayne Rooney's had an absolutely fascinating Career at Manchester United. I mean, you talk about all the different factors there, Dave, and all the different ups and downs, all these massive dramas and these 
these these Adam, narratives. I learned it, Adam, sorry, Lawrence, I learned that from you. Yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, Chris, Chris how do you feel? Because obviously, Dave has got a, a very emotional reaction to it. And I think Lawrence is making a good point to try and draw a distinction essentially between different players and different situations. But in terms of Rooney, you know, the whole story of him that massively the most promising young England teenager ever signing back in 2004 he's almost the club's record goal scorer and yet the, the, the things he's done for his time Manchester United it feels like as Dave said he never really took the club in his heart and the fans have never really reciprocated any sort of similar feeling essentially yeah of course I mean look his his first I would say big moment in his career after that famous goal against Arsenal is the T-shirt that says "Once a blue, always a blue." Now the rivalry between now we're awake. It's blue. <laughs> now the rivalry between Man United and Everton is not as strong as, let's say, Man United and Liverpool. It still does denote a love for the club that then he can't really talk about in the same way. Equally, his kids. I think one of his kids, Kai, is is an, an Everton fan. You could also argue from a performance standpoint, compare him to Skulls, Giggs, Neville, those kind of players. He didn't age as well as them. His performance has dropped off as he's got Literally. older, whereas those players were able to maintain it and exude the kind of quality that I think you bestow onto a legend at a club like Manchester United. So I just think from a lot of kind of more emotive points, but then also just a performance one, I don't think he he ever did enough. And then as Dave kind of puts, yes, there's an emotional tie in terms of holding the club to ransom. I think it's also the way he does it as well. He, he could have done it in a lot more... Uh, respectful, yeah, yeah, quieter way than he did. Whereas actually, it came out in the press. It wasn't the prettiest. It was. It actually seemed to me more motivated by money than anything. Although else. one one thing that's definitely interesting there was Sir Alex's reaction to that in the at the time. Um, well, that's the thing. You could argue the... it it changed Sir Alex's legacy slightly because he was the only player to ever make Sir Alex Ferguson bow to demands. Mm, but I also think that partly shows that I think Sir Alex was slightly in cahoots with what Wayne was doing. And was slightly proving a point that um, to the Glazers through what they did. You're the Fergie. You're one of the Fergie Rooney conspiracy theorists. I am. Yeah, I do, I do think. <laughs> um, I think. I think Fergie did have some power plays against those guys, as most managers have. I think. He, I don't think he was willing to be a mouthpiece for the Glazers in the same way that people, some people, believe he was. Anyway, My guys, on that note. <laughs> We are going to talk to Jake Cohen right now. It's this week's Talking Point. Ties into what we've been talking about all episode about the transfer market going crazy. He busts some transfer myths and gives us some insight into how the transfers really work. It's the height of silly season with Paul Pogba on the verge of completing his world record move back to Manchester United. But how exactly do these huge transfers work? Joining me to help shed some light on the market and bust some transfer myths is sports lawyer Jake Cohen from the firm Mills and Reeve. Jake, welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Adam. I really appreciate uh, you know you inviting me on the show. So, Jake, you wrote a brilliant article on the set pieces last week, where you sort of delved into some behind-the-scenes info on the financial side of the transfer market, which, as we're all seeing this summer, is absolutely booming. One billion dollars spent already this summer. Lots of talk of spending being out of control. What's fueling this huge boom we're seeing in the world of football, Jake? Uh, well, you know, first of all, thank you very much uh, for the kind words about the article. You know, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I love the set pieces. They were great. Uh, 
group of guys to work with. So, you know, with regards to, you know, all the money that we're seeing being spent, you know, um, the headline figure is, of course, the new Premier League uh, TV deal, uh, which kicks in for this season. You know, the previous deal uh, was already gigantic, and this new deal sees uh, the revenue increase 71%. So we're talking billions and billions of pounds. Add on to that the um, more modest increases in uh, TV revenue um, that the Bundesliga, Syria, League One, um, and La Liga are enjoying as well. Um, you know, that's another several hundred million pounds in the market. Add mm-hmm. on to that the increased um, commercial deals that uh, you know the top clubs are enjoying. You know, like we see with. Um, you know, Barcelona's new Nike deal with uh, the new Nike deal that uh, Chelsea is set uh, to sign um, in a couple of years time. You know, all these new kit deals, the stadium deals, and then add in, um, you know, the heavy investment we're seeing from China. You know, it's only reasonable that we're going to start to see and uh, we have seen transfer fees, uh, you know, really start to spike. Of course, as fans, you know, we obviously only see the very basics of a transfer deal reported, usually the fee and the wages, although you do see different countries and newspapers reporting different figures. I mean, we saw it back in 2013 with the bail deal, the Madrid press reporting one thing, the British press quite another. And you often see clubs themselves release inaccurate figures, as was the case with Aliquid Mangala to Manchester City, and of course, Neymar to Barcelona. I mean, why is there this lack of transparency over transfer deals? Oh, I'm sure it's a great question. You know, I think, you know, it's just... An inherent part of the football industry is this lack of transparency. You know, most of these clubs are privately held, and so therefore they don't have um, any public financial reporting standards beyond the bare minimum that is required by the likes of Companies House and their sort of domestic equivalent of Companies House in other countries. So, you know, with clubs not obligated to report transfer fees um, or wages, um, you know, that's, I think, why we see a lot of these um, figures being thrown around. So uh, one example is, I think, Sadio Mane, right? He just transferred to Liverpool. I've seen, you know, some great journalists and some great papers report the fee anywhere between, you know, 26 and 36 uh, million pounds. So which is it? And I think, you know, there are tens of thousands of us um, covering football, right? But only uh, very few have cultivated the sources necessary to actually, you know, nail down um, these um financial figures, right? And so the rest of us are sort of relying on them to provide us with that information. And those journalists, in turn, are relying upon their sources who will be on one of two sides of the table, right? So they'll be on the club side or they'll be on the player side. So if they're talking to the agent, for example, and they're asking what the player's wage is, maybe the agent will tell them the basic wage, all of their possible uh, performance bonuses that can be met, and maybe he'll even throw in, you know, the separate image rights payment still as well. So his total compensation for a player may be 130000 for example, a week. But the basic wages might only be 90000 And so if a different journalist talked to his source on the club side, the club side may just tell him the basic wages, you know, to make it seem, you know, like they negotiated a great deal. So even though the player could be earning anywhere between ninety and $130,000, I think, you know, depending on which... Uh, source um you know is giving this information you know it'll be reported as either figure what about some of the transfer myths you do hear about these sorts of sports brands they're trying to encourage their clients to maybe move to a certain club in some cases rumors that they're willing to subsidize the fee any truth to that um no um you know to be quite blunt you know i 
I don't think there is any truth to that. You know, with Pogba specifically, you know, he's an Adidas-sponsored player, potentially moving from Adidas-sponsored Juventus to Adidas-sponsored Manchester United. So it's a wash for Adidas. You know, maybe, you know, they'll sell a few more shirts um, with Manchester United because Paul Pogba's there, but then they'll also probably sell um, fewer shirts uh, now that uh, Paul Pogba's not, um, or he may no longer be a Juventus player. So, you know, with, um, you know, the idea that, you know, brands would subsidize transfers, like, I don't think um, there's really any merit or truth to that either. So, you know, if, if put yourself put yourself in a position of, like, an Adidas executive, right? Like, why would you spend £10 million to subsidize a football club's transfer when you could just use that £10 million to sponsor that player individually or to sponsor two other superstar players? You know, maybe you convince, you know, you know another top full football to, to move from Nike to Adidas. So not only do you have, um, you know, a brand-new superstar athlete, you also sort of, like, undercut the competition. Uh, subsidizing transfers is not smart business. And, you know, Adidas and Nike, they earn more in days than most Premier League clubs uh, will earn in a year. And, you know, there's a reason for that. You know, they're, they're, you know, they know what they're doing. I mean, another one we saw doing the rounds last week, another transfer myth, as it were, the claims that Zlatan Ibrahimovic has essentially sold £75 million pounds, uh, worth of shirts since his move to Manchester United, which people are saying is effectively going to pay for the Paul Pogba deal. Is there any truth to that one? Um, no, no, there's no truth to that whatsoever. Um, you know, with regards to uh, Adidas' deal with Manchester United, Adidas pays them £75 million pounds a year um, as a licensing fee. And so they're not paying for a tiny logo on the Manchester United shirt. Of course, being associated with Manchester United does have benefits. You know, you're associated with, um, you know, one of the biggest football clubs on the planet. You know, it helps you um, enter emerging markets. But um, the, the main reason why Adidas is paying United £75 million pounds a year is because they're going to double that investment, at least um, with regards to shirt sales. Uh, Adidas keeps 100% of the revenue from uh, Manchester United shirt sales until the shirt sales reaches an absurd amount and then, uh, or an absurd number of sales, and then Manchester United will receive a smaller royalty. Uh, the industry standard sees uh, clubs earn around 10 to 15% of uh, gross sales from the shirt. Um, however, because Manchester United deals is so gigantic, you know, they get that huge 75 million pound um, upfront payment, which I think is double. Um, their next competitor, I think um, Chelsea, with uh, the upcoming Nike deal, they'll come close. But right now, um, I think they're earning uh, even less than half what United is currently earning. So if that's 75 million pounds, United gets to keep uh, 100% of the revenue. In fact, uh, when that deal was announced, actually two years ago this month, uh, the Adidas CEO uh, said he was confident that they would see 1.5 billion pounds of revenue from this, which is twice the investment. Uh, you know, that they pay for the licensing deal for United. And again, you know, these are multi-billion dollar companies. You know, they have more money, you know, under their couches than football clubs, uh, you know, just, just have um, on hand. So, um, you know, this is this is a business deal for Adidas. Um, you know, they're going to profit from it. And, uh, you know, football clubs, you know, they just, the reason why they'll, you know, enter into these deals with these kit manufacturers is that they're football clubs. You know, football clubs are generally engaged in football things. You know, they just don't have the infrastructure required um, to manufacture and distribute, you know, millions of kits, you know, on a global level. In fact, uh, you know, many clubs actually outsource their online shops 
Um, so, you know, if they're not able to handle an online shop, obviously they're not able to, uh, you know, manufacture millions of kits, which is why they bring in Adidas, um, Nike, Puma, New Balance and the like um, to engage in this sort of like revenue sharing licensing uh, deal, which I mean, it, it benefits both. But I mean, to say that, you know, Mattress United keeps all of the shirt money on top of the $75 million a year that Adidas pays them, like, you know, there's just zero logic in that. You know what I mean? Just common sense naturally dictates, um, that that makes absolutely no sense for Adidas. And the nice thing about this deal is that Manchester United and Adidas are both publicly traded, which means that their reporting requirements are a lot more um, stringent than, you know, some of these private clubs. So um, for anyone that's really interested in the deal, you can actually go online um, and like look at the details of the deal um, yourself because it's just available uh, for stockholders. So. I mean, with the Paul Popper deal on the verge of completion check, a lot of debate. Is he worth it? Is he not? 100 million pounds, a huge amount of money. Some fans are looking at transfer fees as a proportion of revenue, as a way to almost justify the outlay. You know, essentially it's broadly similar to the percentage Juan Sebastian Verón cost the club 13 years ago in terms of the percentage of the club's revenue. Is that really a useful way to try and put transfer fees into context? Um, yeah, it, it is an interesting sort of stat. I think... Uh it was sort of uh, thrown out there in the mainstream um, by a guy called uh, Christopher Johansson, and he just put together a bunch of charts, I think, just threw them out on social media. Um, you know, and there was a lot of interest surrounding them. I think for uh, historical context in terms of transfer fees, I mean, it's definitely interesting. I don't think it accurately reflects player costs because, of course, you know, there are wages involved, agents fees, image rights payments. Um, and just sort of like the way that transfer fees are recorded on the books, like clubs will calculate Let's say Paul Pogba sold for 100 million pounds. Uh, Manchester United won't record that 100 million pounds, you know, in you know the uh, 2016 fiscal year, right? Uh, 2017 fiscal year. They'll record it as um, 20 million pounds a year for the next five years. It's just called uh, amortization, which is just like a universal accounting practice, um, you know, that football clubs engage in as well. Um, so I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting to put it into a historical context. It kind of shows that. You know, this you know huge fee actually isn't that huge considering you know the sort of like outlays um, you know that clubs have spent in the past, but it's it's not an accurate depiction of player costs. I mean, it's definitely interesting stat for sure. There are always those, of course, who say, don't talk about spend, talk about net spend. I mean, you're talking there about how the clubs actually account for transfers. Is net spend something that they take into consideration when they're weighing up transfer deals? Oh uh, yeah, like. Uh, Net spend is not like something clubs uh, take into account. Because uh, net spend, right? It's just uh, like transfers in, transfers out. Like it doesn't, you know, factor in wages, you know, which is significant. Um, you know, for the big clubs, that's up to two hundred million pounds a year. Um, so you need to <laughs> account for that. Um, it also fails to take into account the nature of free transfers, right? So uh, like Zlatan coming to United um, on like the net spend books or whatever, it would be recorded as zero. Same thing with uh, like Vladimir Falcao leaving United. Like that net spend would be zero, but United actually freed up you know millions of pounds in wages that they could go out and spend on you know Daily Boy and Morgan Schneider and whoever. Um, so yeah, like net spend. Um, you know, if you're interested in player costs, like I would just try to like erase that um, from your mind. I think what you want to look at, you know, if you're really interested in calculating player costs, is the transfer fee, uh, the length of the player's contract. In his wages. So, you know, opening back to that Pogba example, if Pogba signs a five year deal, um, 
and the transfer fee is 100 million pounds. We'll see that 100 million pounds that are broken down in the club's books at 20 million a year. Um, similarly, if it's a 25 million player um, and he signed a five-year deal, it'll be five million over the next five years rather than 25 million now. And so, yeah, we'll take that what we call like an amortized fee and we'll add his wages to that. So if the player, the 25 million pound player is on a 100,000 a week, that's 5.2 million a year. So we take that 5 million in amortization that 5.2 million in wages, and we can see it'll cost about 10.2 million a year before, um, we'll just say it'll cost 10.2 million a year uh, for ease. There's another, well, there's several other um, costs that are involved uh, when buying a player. So for familiar clubs, there's something called a transfer levy, which means that uh, the buying club has to pay an additional 4% of the transfer fee to the Premier League, and that goes to subsidize grassroots football and uh, player pensions. Um, there's training compensation and solidarity payments that might need to be paid to the players' former clubs. And then, of course, there's a separate image rights payment um, for players that have independent commercial value and then the agent fees as well. But, yeah, I mean, in, in rough terms, yeah. I mean, if you just look at uh, the amortized fee and the wages, you'll have a pretty good idea of what the player is costing uh, the club. I mean, you said it there, there's all these different financial factors, wages, image rights, not just the fee, and of course, agent fees. We're seeing Mr. 10%, it's become a huge debate, a huge discussion point in the transfer market this summer. We've seen three Mina Raiola clients move into Manchester United, Paul Pogba, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and of course, Henrik Mkhitaryan. Jorge Mendes has got his own fingerprints all over the transfer market in the past few years. Just how much influence and power do these sort of people, these sort of super agents have in the world of football? You know, when you mentioned, you know, Real or George Mendes, uh, Fernando Felicevic, um, you know, Pia Drapchen, you know, these are, you know, the top agents at the field. And, you know, they got that way because, you know, they've been successful for their clients. Like their obligations are to their clients. And if they weren't doing, you know, a fantastic job on behalf of those clients, like we wouldn't be talking about them because, you know, they wouldn't be at the top of the field. You know, for me personally, you know, there are um, – People in every profession that sort of drag you down. You know, they're poor football journalists. You know, they're poor lawyers. You know, they're poor doctors. Uh, of course, they're going to be poor agents. And, you know, I think um, a lot of these agents will get painted with a sort of, um, like, unfair brush because, you know, these top agents, um, you know, they've been able to retain their clients. Like, right now, so, for example, the uh, FA standard uh, agency agreement, uh, it can only – uh, be signed a maximum of two years. So every two years, um, the agent needs to convince his client, um, you know, to sign up with him again. So he has to keep, you know, continually proving his worth um, to the player. And since, you know, the agent commission are directly tied to the success of the player, the agents naturally have a vested interest in seeing the player succeed. So, um, you know, let's say like you weren't already in a dream job at TFR, right? Let's say, you know, you were at some other publication and you were trying to get to TFR. And so, you know, and there was an agent that was going to take 5% off the top to help you get there. And he was going to get you a pay raise that was more than 5%. Wouldn't you hire an agent? I mean, I know I would. Um, so I think agents do have a place in football. That, you know, I think, uh, you know, they do provide valuable services. Of course, when looking at these huge transfers and these huge amounts of money spent, Jay, clubs have to consider, fans always debate about, of course, maximizing value. And we're looking at some of these transfers, especially in the Premier League this summer, it has to be said, do you think clubs have lost sight of this? Or is it simply fair enough, you know, they're generating more revenue, more money than ever, so they're naturally just going to be spending more? Um, well, I mean, it's a 
tough balance to strike. I mean, naturally, you know, with the way that the UEFA and the domestic uh, financial regulations are, you know, a club can only spend, you know, more or less what it earns. So the more a club earns, the more it can spend, you know, and some clubs like Chelsea and Manchester City, like everything they earn will go right back onto the pitch. For clubs like, you know, like Arsenal and Manchester United, you know, the owners are not focused on winning at all costs. It's a business for them. So obviously, you know, they're going to, um, you know, take some off the top and put it in their own pockets, which, you know, the businessman is fine to do. Um, it's probably a tough pill to swallow if you're a fan, a fan of those clubs. But, um, yeah, you know, as long as, you know, um, clubs are, you know, trying to maximize value in a way that doesn't just completely gouge fans, you know, I'm all for it. So if there's ways to monetize digital rights, if there's ways to start monetizing social media, you know, if you can get big commercial deals, you know, negotiate huge TV deals, you know, that's all great. You know, when you start talking about increasing ticket prices, um, you know, I think that's where I, you know, and most coach match going fans um, would tend to push back, you know, given that there was, so much money in football, especially in the Premier League, uh, the match day revenue and ticket sales is just a smaller and smaller piece to the pie. So there's no reason to gouge fans. You know, uh, yeah, I'm a huge supporter of, you know, 20s plenty, you know, subsidizing away travel for away fans. And I think that's something that clubs should um, continue to do. There's actually an economic reason for it too, right? Because, you know, the 40, 60,000 fans in the stadium, you know, they reflect the club's brand when they're being shown on TV, you know, to the tens of millions worldwide. And the fans of that club will take their cues from the match going fans in the stadium. So if the fans are not happy with like the current manager, for example, you know, and they see signs, um, you know, like sack so-and-so or, you know, protesting against ticket prices, you know, we've seen huge banners at, um, you know, Emirates at Anfield protesting, uh, you know, exorbitant ticket prices. Uh, that's a terrible look. Um, you know, and it affects how not only, you know, the fans across the world will perceive you, it'll also affect how, uh, you know, sponsors perceive you as well. So I think there is an economic argument for keeping the match going fans happy, um, you know, because they are, you know, an extension of the brand. With that in mind, though, I mean, you're talking about all the other considerations that go into a football club in terms of expenditures and revenue. Can, do you think a club can really justify spending hundred million pounds say on just a player yeah you know you know with revenues all what they are you know there's more money in football than ever before you know um that's just the way the market is going and um i think yeah like an easy way to look at it would be that if like 25 million pounds was good value for a player last summer that same player is now worth 40 million pounds just because of you know, the natural transfer of inflation that comes with, you know, more and more money um, pumped into the market. So if he's a hundred million pound player, you know, maybe he's a 70 million pound player. Um, and for, you know, the guys that like the guys that we're talking about, like the Paul Pogba's, for example, you know, he's 23 years old. You know, there's a finite amount of superstars um, in the world. If I was running a football club, I'm a Chelsea fan. So I think uh, most Chelsea fans are happy and not running the club. I'm much more of an off the pitch guy than an on the pitch guy. But um, if, uh, I was going to club. I would try to spend uh, superstar money on superstar talent because there's such a small number of superstars. And when one becomes available, I think you really need to throw, you know, whatever resources possible um, to get one of those. Because not every club has, you know, a transcendent superstar. Um, and, you know, your opinions on Pogba uh, may differ, but, you know, he's 23 years old. He's already accomplished a lot in his career. He's only getting better. You know, I would consider him a superstar. So if you do too, then you know 100 million pounds is probably uh, a fair free for him.
Well, guys, absolutely fascinating stuff from Jake. Jake, absolute pleasure to have you on the front three. If people want to find more of your work, where can they go? All right. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at uh, Jake F. Cohen. And then uh, my firm, Sports Law team, actually just started Twitter. You can find them at uh, MR Sports Law. So, yeah, just uh, look out for us there and uh, look forward to, uh, you know, chatting with you 140 characters at a time. Well, guys, absolutely fascinating stuff from Jake Cohen, sports lawyer from Mills and Reeve. Do again, check him out on Twitter. Check out Mills and Reeve as well and check out Jake's article is in the description of this very podcast. Uh, it's a fascinating read, so do go and check it out. Why would you um, check out Mills and Reed? What are you looking they, for? No, they've started or something. No, no, they've they've started quite a good uh, Twitter account, Lawrence. Okay. And they're tweeting about you know the financial side of football, which I find pretty interesting. And if you're looking for representation as a player, to, come to us. Less of that <laughs> sort of thing. Well, you know, they're just they're getting out there, Lawrence. They're getting the name out there. No, yeah, good for that. The Twitter account is the right way to do it. Exactly. Um, if you want to follow our Twitter account, it's at the front free on Twitter with the number, not the word. If people want to follow your Twitter account, the Lawrence, where should they go? At K Hennage, K H E N E A G E. Uh, DM me. I do love a good message, uh, yeah. especially about transfers. Loves it. Uh, Chris, where can the good people find you? Uh, at the Lad Bible. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Say that actually. Say no more. And uh, Dave, where can the whole find you on Twitter? Hardcore well, bitches. There's no point finding me on Twitter this week because I'm going on all day. But next week, Aye. search for Adam Boltwood on Twitter and, and follow. Perfect. Uh, guys, do go and check out Dave Talks on YouTube. Great YouTube channel doing Manchester United scout reports, all sorts of great stuff. I highly recommend it. Yeah, the comments are a little bit well. salacious. The comments are a bit <laughs> salacious. All right? Yeah. Lawrence come could on. learn a thing or two from this. Yeah, go fuck yourself. All right, mate. <laughs> um, do come over to the Football Republic as well. My face is there. Dave's face is there. Lawrence's face is there. Chris's face is there. So you can see us all on there. So do come and check us out and subscribe if you haven't already. Until next week, have a bloody good week. 